Hello and welcome. My name is Catherine Kirridge. I'm partner at Osborne Clark. In my role as Digitalisation Transformation Manager, I have the privilege of speaking to a number of leaders across a subject that's close to my heart, digital inclusion. In this episode of our series, Digitalisation, a spotlight on, I speak to Helen Robotham, CEO of Access Sport. Helen speaks about the power digital and sport have in bringing communities together, the continuation of a hybrid world and the importance of digital inclusion. Hi, so I'm with Helen Robotham, who is CEO at the charity Access Sports. And today we're going to be talking about diversity and digitalisation. I know, Helen, you've got lots to say about that. So would you like to start by telling me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Hi, Catherine. Uh, so, yeah, um, Helen Robotham, I uh, joined Access Sports actually this uh, year, just in January. So two and a half months into the role here. Uh, prior to that, I've worked in sport for 23 years um, uh, in sports and events consultancy. I then just had five years at British Rowing as director of innovation and then director of rowing community and strategy. I'm also a, a non-executive director and trustee at the British Paralympic Association. Brilliant, and sounds amazing. Um, and Access Sport, um, tell me a bit about what you do. Fantastic. Well, Access Sport was a, is a national charity. We were formed in 2004, and essentially we believe that no one should be excluded from the transformational benefits of community sport. And for us, us that's really about physical and mental health and well-being personal development in terms of life skills, life prospects, sense of belonging and community engagement. And so really our work is all about making inclusion the norm by tackling the access barriers that exist. And our focus is really on disadvantaged and disabled young people, um, really focusing on the causes of exclusion, not just the symptoms. And I guess just in terms of how we do all of that, well, we essentially focus on training, equipping and supporting community sports clubs, organisations and volunteers to provide inclusive programmes because really they're the best place to uh, serve uh, their local communities and the young people in their local areas. And um, yeah, our focus is really on helping them to provide those inclusive, accessible opportunities. And we do that in multiple sports and in multiple locations across the country but that's very much the focus of our work. Yeah, amazing. And and the pandemic must have had an impact on your ability to, to do that and to reach people through sport, which is obviously very much kind of physical activity. So I'm wondering how digital tools helped you with that, how, how you responded to the pandemic. Yeah, of course, everything stopped, didn't it, for everybody. Um, so when you're used to providing all of your provision, um, in local community settings and it's very much kind of in person, um, everything stopped. Um, so in the same way that the rest of society adapted, a lot of our um, majority of our clubs and community organisations that we support moved online effectively. Um, a lot of them were quite apprehensive to start, <laughs> uh, but as it became the norm, um, they really embraced it. And, and actually, we found that a lot of the community organisations that we support um, actually grew <laughs> during the pandemic. They were able to attract new participants as well as keep existing participants engaged. So there's some brilliant examples of that. 
Um, last week, we actually uh, presented some awards and one of our winners was um, uh, Woolwich Inclusive Yoga and they ran online yoga sessions for disabled children and young people and their families throughout the pandemic, having not previously done that online. Um, other examples are we provided clubs with resources on, to help them uh, do activities online and distributed kit bags to members so they could do those at home and participate in online activities. Uh, and another really great area was actually that we had um, more participants in our online and our training courses than we actually had pre the pandemic because suddenly people did have that time and were able to join those online training sessions. So we were able to onboard lots of new clubs um, and make those connections happen, those kind of early connections. Yeah, and it removed a lot of those time and geography barriers that we've all experienced, you know, clubs in Eastbourne joining a training session for clubs up in the northeast and things like that. So lots of benefits through that time. Yeah, brilliant. And so do you think you'll keep some of that kind of hybrid online offline approach? I, yeah, I think the reality is that virtual can't replicate the work that we do face to face in person with the clubs that we do so there's quite a lot of areas where people have shifted back to that in-person delivery ac across all of our programs and i don't see it going back to the same extent for online delivery the areas where i do see that hybrid approach working longer term are with the likes of the training uh, and those opportunities and and also um, with a lot of the clubs that we work with, we, it's very intense support in those early years. But slowly, as we kind of provide more light, light touch support, we have networks of clubs who we support with their diversity and inclusion work long term. And I think a lot of that network development and the support of those networks uh, can be done really effectively online so at the moment we're actually looking at bringing together a number of the club networks that we have to form a sort of larger national network of clubs where we can provide that online training um, and uh, different opportunities to network with other clubs as well um, for example you know we have uh, over 50 clubs within our um, our flyers network which is disability inclusive hockey provision and and actually you know often they're working in isolation they might be the only club in their area that's providing that provision but suddenly you're part of a network of 50 clubs able to talk to them share your issues and challenges learn from one another's experience it's it's fantastic so that's something we're definitely pursuing and feel there's a, a real opportunity not just to continue that but to grow it and expand the work we do in that space that's brilliant it's so exciting isn't it and as you say great to see everyone getting back to kind of physical sport and being together in real life but it yeah. sounds like you can almost have a greater reach and support clubs for longer with those digital tools which is fantastic yeah i would say one of the there are it does flag challenges as well in terms of that uh the activity side so where we have tried to do that i think it's really important to recognize that there is a tech divide that digital divide that gets talked yeah. about um, and tech and the need for that to access opportunities can be a major barrier for some of the communities we support. There's yeah. obviously the sort of financial aspect to that, but also um, from the uh, disabled children and young people we support, 
those with special educational needs, um, perhaps those individuals who are deaf um, and therefore have different needs. We've really got to think about how we engage effectively with all of those audiences. And it's having that kind of different offer for different participants and different ways people can access things, but always being very conscious of um, yes, this might feel like a great solution for me, and mm -hmm. suddenly it's really easy to deliver things online, but actually, how is this being received by each of the different communities that we work with? What are the challenges and barriers? How do we overcome those? Um, do we need to provide this in a multiple different ways to be able to, to serve all of, our, all of the communities that we support? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing with digital inclusion, so often these tools develop so rapidly, um, and particularly with young people, you often get really rapid uptake and it's quite easy to forget that that can be excluding some people that don't have access or where access is more difficult. So, yeah, I completely agree. Um, and it sounds like from your background, you, you've looked at innovation and, and tech and things with sport more broadly. And it's I think I know the answer, but we are seeing sport adopting more of a kind of hybrid approach and more use of kind of technology and data and things in sport. And I wonder I wonder what sort of things you've seen through your career where that kind of pulling together of the online and offline world is happening outside access sport. Yeah, I think there was a huge shift pre the pandemic anyway. Mm. Uh, but that's only been amplified by everybody being online and just use of Zoom teams and everything else becoming commonplace. So uh, suddenly, you know, it was the early adopters perhaps who are, or even the kind of next stage on from that, who were engaging those sort of hybrid activities. But we've seen a massive shift in that, haven't we? And if I just go to, to rowing, pre the pandemic, we'd started to provide fantastic uh, YouTube workout videos for home rowers. Um, that was kind of our, us dipping our toe in the water in terms of um, that sort of hybrid approach and yeah. what we could do online to engage that community. But actually, just during the pandemic, we went from YouTube videos to live workouts to global uh, virtual rowing events, where literally through plugging in your concept too, you could be competing live in real time with somebody from in Brazil or, or Portugal or Spain yes. um, and it was hugely successful uh, and and that model's been adopted now by multiple countries and by world rowing and um, you know it really means that you're opening up such a, a, a bigger opportunity to grow those sports and particularly with rowing a great example where you you, you know you're it's very lucky to have that piece of kit that replicates the rowing movement so effectively. But you've seen the same thing in cycling and, um, you know, with the likes of Swift and Peloton, of course, you know, this huge change anyway, pre-pandemic and then lots of new people getting involved and in kind of enjoying, enjoying those opportunities. Um, as a result of the pandemic. And you will know as well as I do, Strava, Garmin, tracking devices all over the place. Um, you know, they really just open up those opportunities and give people different ways to access sport and physical recreation, which um, just haven't existed in the past. And I think it is all about that, those options and having different ways you can engage and, and take part, uh, which is so important. Yeah, it's brilliant. And also, I guess, um, 
the community aspect to those so some of the kind of tools you've mentioned have got kind of social and community elements to them and that's so important with sport isn't it and I guess you can create a lot of that in the kind of digital world as well and I'm thinking about kind of role models and social media particularly for young people I'm wondering where that kind of comes in for you do you see a role for that in kind of driving inspiring young people yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, a crossover between the sort of ambassadors, influencers and that mm. digital space. I mean, just sticking around sort of ambassadors and influencers for us, that's really important in terms of sharing the message around what we're about as a charity. We have a fantastic um, range of ambassadors uh, across a number of sports who support us on a regular basis. Um, attend our events, support um, different activations we do and the likes and, and promote our cause, which is just, you know, great to have as a charity. Um, and, and likewise, those kind of wider influences who can, um, you know, really raise awareness of, of what we do. Um, and then when you combine that with the kind of online, digital, virtual opportunities, uh, it allows us to connect with and engage a, a wider audience. Uh, I think you know that's definitely true for us as a as a charity. We're still exploring how do you do that effectively, and um, you know how do you really reach out and engage those new audiences. And there were some fantastic examples of um, charitable fundraising, um, which combine that. A really great example, Jingle Jam, that we were part of last year, where you know we were running um, online gaming. Uh, sessions with uh, influencers from across the sport so you know you had um, uh, Olympic cyclists doing gaming online and streaming uh, and getting the wider community to engage with them and talking about access sport um, and engaging kind of a whole new community in what we do so there's all these sorts of crossover opportunities yeah. um, and I think we're all in that phase of working out what that looks like, how do we optimise those um, and uh, you know we feel that there's huge opportunities in that space so we're very keen to work with partners who want to um, you know look at that whole crossover between kind of um, e-sport and traditional sport and uh, yeah lots of opportunities there. Yeah brilliant. Oh, it's been great talking to you. I think it's such a good example of where the kind of physical world and digital world meet. And it's really inspiring to hear that there are kind of benefits for you in, in building broader communities and bringing people together. But I think a really important reminder too about digital inclusion and making sure that we kind of bring everyone along with us as we move into the kind of brave new hybrid world. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you very much for talking to me, Helen. It's been it's been great to meet you, and best of luck with everything that you're doing. It sounds amazing. Thank you, Catherine.